Lori, and I love coffee. But more importantly, I love families. Coffee with Parents eagerly explores all the fascinating facets of families. This podcast seeks to shine a bright, colorful light on the kaleidoscope of parents and families that exist in this world. I aim to speak with single parents, queer parents, adoptive parents, parents of children with special needs, parents struggling with addiction and mental illness, a full spectrum of families around the world. We will dig deep, have big belly laughs, embrace ugly crying, and sip that sweet caffeinated cup. Listen and love, hear with your heart, and enjoy Coffee with Parents. Here is a content warning for the episode. This episode feels relatively neutral. If you ever feel you need a content warning that wasn't given after listening to an episode, you can always write in to coffeewithparents at cwppodcast at gmail.com. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Just Thanks so much for having me. Here. Oh, of course. Yes, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. I hope it's... What time is it over there in Tennessee? Um, it's six. It's so. six. Okay, so yeah. not like super late. I mean, you know, I didn't. No, it's um, I'm since I half brain wise like live in California still, it's not too hard to uh, <laughs> <laughs> deal with California time. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> okay, so this is something that I really ask like at the front of every episode because this is called Coffee with Parents, and I was initially anticipating literal coffee with parents but that is just not the case (laughs) these days so I still ask it anyway it doesn't have to be coffee but if you're sipping anything what are you sipping today um I have the very fancy Kirkland brand sparkling lime water right now um I'm actually not a uh, coffee drinker, which is blasphemous. I know. Oof. Well, <laughs> this will be the end of the interview. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, <laughs> I failed already. <laughs> that was a test. <laughs> no, I will drink it. I like it. I'm just not addicted to it. <laughs> All right. Well, I can't relate to that, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> So can you just give a brief introduction of yourself? Yeah. So my name is Zoe Etkin, and I currently live in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I was living and working in Los Angeles for many years, which is how we know each other, Um, but decided to move my family and businesses to Memphis, where I grew up um, for a bunch of different reasons. And so I have several businesses. (laughs) Um, The primary business is my doula practice, which is sort of morphing into more of a postpartum recovery expert. I don't even know what I'm going to call it, Um, but I'm in a scar tissue remediation school right now. So it's kind of morphing together. Um, And then I also own a doula training organization. I'm the co-founder of Embodied Doula Trainings. And I also own (laughs) another business called Birthing Your Brand, uh, which is just a website platform for doulas. That's so cool. Um, I, yeah. Yeah, Um, sorry. I No, no, that's okay. I was just gonna say like, I don't know 
that much about scar tissue. And, and I mean, you know, I'm assuming that is like your focus is kind of C-section scars or? A lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. Right now I'm mostly doing external work, but my program does teach internal work as well. Mm-hmm. So intravaginal and intra-anal work as well, but I'm not quite there yet with yeah. um, doing that with my clients. Okay. But well, that's so cool. Someday. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What brought you to creating embodied doula trainings and birthing your brand? Do you mind telling me a little bit more about those businesses? Sure. Um, So I've been a doula for many years and moving back here to Memphis, I had already kind of thought about being a doula trainer in LA, but there were just so many there anyway um, that I was kind of discouraged from doing it from a few people. And once I got here, I was like, wow, there's no local trainer. There's not a lot of infrastructure in the doula community here. Maybe I should start offering doula trainings locally. And I looked into a few different organizations, including the one I had trained with originally, but didn't really align with. And with the recommendation of several people, they were like, why don't you just start your own? And I was like, well, I don't really want to do that because that's a lot of time. Um, I'd rather just, you know, invest in one that already exists and then have all of that national backing and everything. But it didn't work out for mainly financial reasons because there's so, some of them are so expensive to train through. And I was like, well, I can either use a lot of money that I don't have or my time, which is not exactly free, but um, mine to choose to give. And once I started doing it, I was like, oh, duh, of course I should do it myself. Then I get to make all the decisions and um, and kind of impart my perspective as a doula onto others and brought in another doula, Selena uh, Weigel, and she and I decided to just do it together and found this organization. And um, now we have more trainers in other states and people coming on the curriculum team to help make that better. It's just been a a year, you know, really that we've existed. So um, lots of work to do, (laughs) Um, but really exciting. And we've already done three trainings so far. So it's happening. (laughs) Um, And then birthing your brand came about because I had already been doing doula websites, you know, for other doulas for years on various platforms that already existed and um, decided to redo my own website with WordPress and then was like, oh, I don't know how to use this anymore. It's been so long. And this friend of mine who I went to high school with, um, Brian Dragutsky, he reached out to me on Facebook because I was like, someone help me. I can't do this WordPress thing anymore. I don't understand. (laughs) It's been like a decade, you know, Um, and he's like, oh, I'll help you do it. And then he helped me do my website and was like, I have a business idea for you. And I was like, what? (laughs) Uh, What if we built our own WordPress-based platform for doulas? Like this is a thing now where you use WordPress as a service and it's totally white labeled to our brand and curated in such a way that makes WordPress a lot easier to use because unless you know code, it's like really obnoxious. (laughs) Um, So we made it easy for you. And then it's also tailored to doulas and other birth professionals. So, um, you know, you don't have to do too much work to make your website look really professional and good in just a few steps. So that's truly, yes, WordPress for me, 
is so not intuitive. I have, yeah, yeah, I've worked mostly on other websites. I won't like mention brand names or anything, but I've worked mostly from other platforms. And while they're very much more intuitive, they don't have like a lot of options. They don't have very good SEO. And it's just kind of, it sucks because you just, it seems like something that you shouldn't really have to like outsource too much, but you really do. It's, you just really do. And then to hire like a personal freelance web designer and all of that can be sometimes tens of thousands of dollars, which I think people don't realize how actually expensive that can be um, kind of depending on, you know, what your goals are with your website and everything. But yeah, that can be insanely expensive and really crazy to try to navigate. What's really nice about it is like we have pretty templates and you just pick the one that has the aesthetic that you like. Everything is customizable if you want it to be, Mm -hmm. but if you don't want to do a lot with it, it's already going to look really nice and have cool features and stuff. So it just kind of takes a lot of that guesswork out of it. And then if people do want copywriting and stuff like that, like I'm the one who does that um, for our clients. And then if they need highly technical things and Brian is the one who does those because I'm like okay with it you know um I can definitely build a website but not one that does really fancy stuff like he can do so he takes care of that for me which is really cool It's, it's nice also to have the history of like going to high school together and then having the business because we're both parents now and um there's just like a lot of good collaborative Memphis vibes happening in it. So <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> special to me too, that it's like, it's from the the roots of our Memphis friendship and everything. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so I'll just put the links to those in the show notes for Great. anyone who's interested. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So you lived in California when I first came to know you and now you live in Tennessee and you kind of mentioned that you grew up there um but why the huge transition yeah um parenthood really was the (laughs) the deciding factor because I really didn't think I would ever want to move back here but um you know California especially LA very expensive very isolating in some ways and I kind of felt like when I became a mom there a lot of people kind of disappeared who said mm-hmm. that they were going to be there for me. And I felt like the people who were there for me really were all people from Memphis that lived in LA. <laughs> and I was like, that's interesting. What's that about? Um, not to say that I don't have LA based friends or, you know, still, of course I do, but, um, but I just felt a little unsupported in that. And that was just a factor in it. Um, But my family here was like, move back, move back, like for years they were campaigning. And um, I wrote my pros and cons list about it and got my husband convinced that it was a good idea. And (laughs) I hadn't lived in Memphis since I was 18 or 19. And honestly, it's a very different city than it was then in a lot of good Mm -hmm. ways. Um, So I appreciate that about it. But I just also thought about, you know, 
how do I want to raise my kid? And do I want to raise my kid in LA with the culture there? Um, and I, obviously there's lots of really great culture in LA, but just the, you know, sort of entertainment industry plasticness really was something that I never liked about living there. And I don't know, LA kids can be kind of funny, <laughs> you know, like it's just like a bubble, I, you know, I'm familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I felt like growing up in Memphis was good for me because, you know, while certain things certainly exist in LA, like racism and stuff, sometimes it's really covert, I feel like, or it's veiled in a way because it's like, no, we're so progressive. Like, look at how progressive we are, you know? And here, everything's really upfront. Uh, race is really upfront here. And we live in a predominantly black city. And I feel like that's really important as a white person to like see what that looks like and have a really direct experience with that for just your own good and your own um, engagement with that as a white person. And so that was sort of a, a factor for me, just feeling like it, I, I felt like it was a good thing that I grew up here. We kind of grew up in this um, midtown Memphis kind of hippie Jewish bubble that was kind of its own interesting thing. But then you can't fully live in a bu bubble in Memphis. Like you're always mm. even geographically engaging with um, people who are different than you. And I feel like that's a really good thing for raising a kid. And um, yeah. How, yeah. How do you feel like that move affected your daughter, if at all? Which, by the way, how, how old is she again? She's four. So she four. was only mm -hmm. a year, you know, when mm -hmm. we moved. So I don't know um, about that in particular, but I mean, she's still, you know, she knows she was born in LA and lived there and stuff. And I do wonder if someday she's going to be mad that she didn't get to grow up in California or whatever, but like yeah. you would be living in a very tiny apartment right now. And yeah. You have your own yard now and we <laughs> couldn't give you that in LA, you know, and I wanted something like I wanted that for her to have what I had, which was, you know, just like beautiful nature and big backyard with lots of lightning bugs and, yeah. you know, just like the whole Southern kind of vibe and um I think it can be a really great place to grow up here so I, I'm just grateful that we figured it out and you know are in a p position now financially like where we can send her to a Montessori school and like we couldn't have done that in LA and mm -hmm. it just we, we feel like I have more room to breathe here a little bit in that sense mm -hmm. because it's the cost of living is just so significantly different you know yeah Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you yes, know. <laughs> I do. I sure do. Yeah, I just didn't want to deal with that anymore. Mm -hmm. And and just having the family help too has been really important for us. Um, mm -hmm. Like my mom takes care of June a lot and mm -hmm. that makes it a lot easier for me to work, not only for the time, but also, you know, sometimes it does even like, especially as, as a mom, um, doesn't make sense to work sometimes because mm -hmm. you don't get paid enough to pay for the childcare or whatever. And yep. <laughs> the free childcare is really, you know, it's key. Something. And that's <laughs> one of the reasons it's been so hard for us up till now to leave because mm. this is where our family is. 
How do you think your role as a mother has shaped or changed your personal identity? I know that's a huge question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, <laughs> a thousand percent completely, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> um, so much, not always for the better either. You know, I think it's a very multi-shaded experience <laughs> to <laughs> become a parent and a mother in particular, at least in my experience. And um, I, I think I had a lot more trust in myself before I became a mother. And what it did was really caused me to question things um, that I hadn't had to question before, which is different for some people. I think a lot of, a lot of folks go through that questioning period in their earlier youth, um, you know, in, in manifestations of like rebellion from their parents or whatever. And I'm an only child. So my parents and I were just like little BFFs and, all, you know, like I didn't ever rebel against them. We believe a lot of the same things, you know, and so I think I went into my motherhood experience having just like a lot of hubris, honestly, <laughs> and um, just a lot of overconfidence and and maybe too high of standards for myself. Um, and then going through pregnancy and early motherhood really just threw that all on its head um, because I needed to knock myself down a peg, I guess. I don't know. Um, but you know, when you're a doula before you become a parent, it kind of sets you up for some things that, uh, you know? it sure does. I, yes, I totally know what you're saying because it's it, the, yeah, the boundary <laughs> of just like being confident, like stepping into motherhood and being humble, stepping into motherhood is so, wishy-washy gray area like just crazy because you want for your clients for them to feel confident and just great and like you don't want them to have any of that wishy-washy self-doubt whatever stuff you know mm. and so then you think for you know you try to convince yourself that that's what you're going to do and how you're going to be. And you're going to be like this shining example for your clients or, yes. you know, whatever, or just what you, Ugh. what you want for your clients is what you want for yourself. And right. there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a little incomplete. <laughs> exactly. It yeah. Is. <laughs> it really is. And it just, um, really shocked me somehow, even though, you know, I've been a doula for, five years before I had my daughter and I worked a lot, you know, in LA because that's in a busy place and had seen a lot birth and postpartum side and was just like, oh, I got this. Like, I'm going to do it. Awesome. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. And uh, basically just everything. Can we curse on here? I don't know. What you're oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just went to shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, like immediately, really. Um, I mean, and it, it just put me into such a, just like a shadow space, which is not necessarily bad, you know, like being in a shadow space isn't, inherently bad but it's it can be really scary and uncomfortable and um pretty much from the beginning of the pregnancy I felt like my body was rejecting that so that really sucked and you know hyperemesis and all that business just really like 
changed what I thought was going to be this really beautiful, exciting thing. And not to say that it was not, but put a cast kind of cast that shadow on it that made it like, oh, I want this so much, but I hate this so much. Mm. Not the baby. I mean, I was a little mad at her. Like, why are you making me sick all the time? You know? <laughs> um, but it just, <clears throat> it made it really hard to trust my body. Like I felt like I was someone who was so in tune with my body before. Like I would know the second I had a cold or something like that. And then I just didn't know what the hell was happening with my body. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt very destabilized, very disembodied by it. And that was not what I wanted for myself. And so then I was feeling a lot of grief and anger about that, I think. Um, and just having those high expectations from being a doula of like, this is how you're supposed to do it. And this is how it looks and image and everything. And then I had a crazy birth and I had crazy postpartum. And I felt like I couldn't really talk about it because I had this image in the community that I had to uphold. That was really so toxic for me to put on myself. And I mean, I'm still dealing with all of that, you know, it takes years, I think, to go through all of that kind of physical and emotional trauma and grief and um you know um yeah I it's um, I don't know that it's anything that you ever really get over or get through it's just something that you have so many ups and downs with and you're constantly coping with it and you're you know I mean it's just that kind of cliche of just healing is not linear and it's not, I I would also add to that, that it's not complete. It's, you know, when you are 90 years old and you're sitting there looking at your grandkids, something may still come up for you and you might have to like leave the room or, you know, whatever it's, it may not be something that completely goes away. And that may not be a bad thing. I think that's just life, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think what it has done for me is really transform how I work. Um, Certainly. I mean, I feel like I was a fine doula before, you know, but it's really recalibrated my priorities with work and the kind of work that I do with my clients now. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh, what I thought was important. I mean, I had, I had clues into this, you know, I was, (laughs) I was definitely like, oh, this is definitely more than what we're being taught in these dual trainings. Like we're doing some shadow shadow work here, you know? Um, So I was having conversations around identity and sexuality and grief and death and all of that with with the clients who resonated with that. But now that's really, I think, at the forefront of what I do because nobody's talking about it with people. Mm -hmm. Nobody's, you know, allowing that conversation really. Yes, especially in my opinion, grief. I think there's so much grief entangled with parenthood and fertility and pregnancy and even just sex sometimes in general. And I think that that is not just not talked about, it's avoided in those Mm -hmm. conversations. And, you know, that's why people feel so, so uncomfortable and so much shame around miscarriage, abortion, et cetera, because that's so filled with grief that like, Mm -hmm. it feels like it might not belong in a space talking about pregnancy and birth where it 
so is allowed and it's so is relevant and it's just it's it's real and I think that you know expressing that grief expressing anything surrounding this entire topic that we're talking about any range of emotion permits somebody else's range of emotions and you can really like place validation on somebody simply by talking about your own story yeah it's not pretty you know <laughs> like it's not you know but I think what is important you know you utilizing my own story as a doula is definitely you know only sharing the amount of it that is somewhat processed because I don't ever want to like put that onto people you know like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to use them to process my own trauma but I do right. think it's it's definitely helped me be able to just have that conversation of like how are you really like oh yeah you know it, yeah it, it's it, yes and thank you for saying that because yes of course there's boundary issues that come up with this as well right. because you know somebody who's pregnant with their first baby and a little nervous may not really be in a position to want to hear about your traumatic birth. That doesn't mean there's not space for your (laughs) traumatic birth story. It just means maybe that person can't hold space for that at that moment. Maybe there's space in a different area for you to process that grief. They don't need to hear about being in labor for five days. It's going to freak them out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Um, yeah. But just to speak to something you were saying a little bit earlier is just that, that this is, everyone is experiencing this to some degree, some amount of grief, some amount of darkness or death or whatever you want to call it um, in this experience, because that is what life is. And we just live in this very death de- denying culture, right? Mm-hmm. And and a very sex denying culture. And then birth has been taken out of it and put on this little you know, powder puff kind of pedestal of like, (laughs) you know, Virgin Mary kind of stuff. I mean, it really comes down to those like, um, archetype. Well, and I would argue it's, it's, it's a pendulum swing because for so long we were taught that the pain of childbirth is because of Eve and her sin and all of this stuff. And, and so, you know, at least here in the United States and Western culture, that's like Mm -hmm. largely what we were taught. And so, you know, uprising of pain medication and all this stuff, like, excuse me, no, I don't have to answer to her. And I don't, or for some people, I don't believe in this mythical Eve that you're speaking of. And I don't deserve this. And hello, I don't have to experience this pain. And Mm -hmm. this doesn't have to be negative. It can be positive. But then Mm -hmm. as a result, now, you know, we've completely medicalized things. We've been avoiding talking about the negative side of it and there needs to be some kind of equilibrium yeah I mean, that's a very layered conversation oh, I mean, as we sure. get talk yeah. volumes on birth and um yeah. the image of birth that exists mm-hmm. in this culture which really yeah. you know does tie into what results in the parenthood uh, aspect obviously but yeah it changes you and nobody wants to really talk about all the ways that it changes you and yeah they're not always great I mean it forces you to look at your shortcomings and you know the things that you're really not great at and you know your patience level and all of these things that you think you know about yourself right and then add this little person in there with their own agenda (laughs) you know and you're like holy shit like 
oh, I don't get to just do whatever I want anymore. Like my mm-hmm. life does very much circulate around you and what you need. And at the same time, I really am getting into this work with people about their own mothers and 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 really the boomer generation of mothers, maybe some late uh, or like very early Gen X parents, I guess, depending on how old the client is. Um, which is kind of crazy to think of how young some of my clients are now and <laughs> how old I feel. Um, but, you know, really looking at what we're taught about parenting and specifically motherhood, because there are so many of these myths around what a mother is supposed to be and mm-hmm. how that plays out in our own parenting and that we, and all parents, regardless of gender, have to reconcile their own childhood and how they were raised in their parenting and that's really hard that's so hard to face sometimes yeah for good or bad right like for me like I was saying earlier you know my parents I felt like did a great job and I really liked a lot of the ways that they parented me you know of course we all screw up in different ways you know they had some things you know but um, I feel like I didn't really rebel against them until I became a mom and was like oh, I don't exactly, like, I can't do it like she did it because I'm not her. And that was a really, that really hurt. I don't know why. It just really hurt that I was, like, I had idealized her mothering so much that the fact that I just, I just don't have that kind of patience that she had, you know? And she was also 39 when she had me, had already had careers and other lives you know, and I think that does like where you start your motherhood also affects your motherhood identity or your yeah. parenting identity because, you know, a very young parent is, you know, not had a lot of life experience yet. Maybe they haven't had a career or something that it just is a different dynamic than someone who comes to it older. Or in my case, I was 30 and had had some career in college life and all that business, you know, but not quite what she had had. And, um, that was really hard. Yeah. Cause I'm not the same kind of mom as her. And sometimes I wish I could be, but I just, I'm super Scorpio, dark, moody. That's just who I am, you know? Yeah. I just have to deal with that. <laughs> my kid has to deal with that. And my husband has to deal with that. So um, yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. How do you think your relationship with your body has changed if at all after becoming a parent? You've talked about it a little bit, but. Um. Um, a lot, and it's it's really changed a lot recently. So I feel like after, so I you know talked about the pregnancy was really hard and um, the postpartum was really hard too because I had four months of postpartum hives unexplainedly and no one could fix it. So that really like made me not feel great with my body, but. I really lost that connection with my body, especially my sexual body um, and didn't really realize it um, until I saw a pelvic floor therapist and she kind of went through this whole somatic journey with me while she was working on me. That was really kind of crazy how intuitive she was. shout out to Amy Moses. She's great. Um, (laughs) And she was like, I think you've lost her, like your inner, you know, maiden person, your youthful identity or sexual identity and all that. And I was maybe two or three years postpartum at that point. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. I don't even 
chart my cycle anymore. I don't use my menstrual cup anymore. Like I just don't want to engage with my vagina or my vulva anymore. Um, not that I wasn't having sex, but I, you know, just you can have sex and be totally cut off from that. You know, um, you yeah. really can. So that really just put a little spark in my mind, like, Hmm, okay. That's something to work on, but not really something that I could work on until I started my scar tissue training. And then, you know, that, that school is so somatics based. And it's also just like, you have to work on yourself before you can work on other people. And in doing that, it has, and I will say doing that and working with my life coach um, together has really just in the past couple of months changed my relationship to my body a lot where I will say and also um, exercising Mm -hmm. has also um, changed my relationship to my body which has been really good for me this past year Um, but now I feel really different about it and I you know, I think you've seen on my Instagram, I'm like posting some naked pictures, <laughs> like nothing too yes. revealing, but like, why not? You know, like mm-hmm. my body's just as great as everybody else's. I'm going to show it. And I think also it's important for people, especially moms who feel very stigmatized about mom bod <laughs> um, to just see normal looking bodies and bodies that are not Hollywood perfect and Mm -hmm. airbrush and all of that so that's been nice like it feels very freeing like I don't belong to anyone it's just me like I just it's it's really me and my power in a sense you know so it's been good I love that how do you think your parents would describe your parenting style if asked that's a hard question coffee with parents if you are a black or indigenous owned business we would love to give you a free shout out with zero financial or other commitment please email us at cwppodcast at gmail.com if you own a business and would like to purchase an ad spot during the show please email us at cwppodcast at gmail.com it would be an honor to give you a shout out Thank you for your support of Coffee with Parents. How do you think your parents would describe your parenting style? That's a hard question. (laughs) Um, Maybe lacking patience. somewhat but I I think that they do think I'm a good mom and um, I mean my mom especially has communicated that to me that she is really proud of how I've taken care of June and been really in tune with her and so yeah I'd say maybe generally intuitive somewhat to Scorpio (laughs) um but they've always been funny about that with me. They're like, your stinger is out. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, you know. <laughs> That's funny. They, they just know, you know. <laughs> but I, I think that they, yeah, they would say intuitive, but 
maybe a little spicy sometimes. <laughs> oh my God. Can I tell you, in terms of astrology, like our family dynamic is ridiculous because we are all three, me and my partner and our daughter, all three Geminis. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And I'm a triple Gemini, sun, moon, rising. So wow. there's like 10 people in our three person family. <laughs> and it's sometimes, yeah, there's just like a lot of energies there to kind of manage. Mm, but yeah. Interesting. So I'm, yeah. So I, I get the like astrology playing into your parenting for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know how real it is, but I mean, they've always really like driven that point home with me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think uh, it's, you know, to anyone who questions astrology or, you know, wants to debate about it or whatever, for me, it's, it's, it's not a debate because it's not whether or not it's real or whether or not it's fake or whatever, like who cares? Honestly, it's just a way to provide some context kind of into it I had my chart done once by this mm-hmm. I had the best therapist when I lived in Santa Fe long ago and so he was like a legit therapist and astrologer which is so Santa Fe I feel like <laughs> you know um and what came up in the chart was all of this like Plutonian stuff which was like oh that totally makes sense for me all that that underworld energy and then the myth of Demeter and Persephone going to the underworld and the whole motherhood thing. And I was like, Ooh, Mm. and I was not a mom then this was in my early twenties, you know? And I just feel like, I don't know. It works for me. I feel like it's it's me, you know, it's great to me. Prophetic as well. And then just the, even for people who are not mothers or parents certain archetypes still can fit oh yeah you know like within our lives like you can mother your career or your partner or your whatever cat (laughs) (laughs) that's true yeah Yeah. that's true I just I do I do resonate with some astrology definitely with mythology archetypes metaphor Mm -hmm. I mean my background is in literature and creative writing so that Mm -hmm. stuff really speaks to me and I like a good story, <laughs> you know, uh, a good poem underneath things. So I feel like that also kind of informs who I am and, and how I work. Definitely. Yeah. Of the way that you were parented, what about that experience do you think benefits you the most on your current parenting journey? I think my parents were very, what you consider now like conscious parents. Um, Mm -hmm. They, which I was not quite so popular in the eighties and Mm -hmm. nineties, but they really saw it as a job that required research. And, um, and then it wasn't something that you just kind of figure out, you know, like they definitely read a lot of books from these experts on, you know, child rearing and, but not, not the, the mainstream ones, you know, they were reading like John Holt and um, what's that other one, the, the magical child and um, the continuum concept and those kinds of books. I mean, my mom, uh, you know, read the anime spiritual midwifery book and had me at home, you know, somewhat because mm-hmm. of that. And so they were definitely pretty progressive parents back Mm -hmm. then and for being in Mm -hmm. the south and all of that so Mm -hmm. that really informed 
me as as a doula certainly in my approach but also you know just that this is something that I can't just wing <laughs> you know this is something that I want to you know I want to read books about and know how to to do it better so that I'm really taking it seriously as the as a job because it is yeah it kind of is you know like I really love this mm-hmm. book um how to raise emotionally healthy children by Dr. Gerald Newmark do you know that one I don't um he passed away some years ago but I got to study with him I did a training with him out uh in the valley um he lived in like a cute condo out there and we all went to his condo and did this training with him but uh his whole thing is like parenting is something that you constantly have to be like checking in with yourself about your own performance right like and he believes in having family meetings where the kids get to give feedback about how things are going and I haven't implemented that quite yet you know but Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting and very different than what we're kind of culturally conditioned to do as parents in this particular culture um, which I think promotes just very like figure it out whatever you know (laughs) um, as long as you're being productive right (laughs) or very like religiously based strict kind of parenting which does not resonate with me you know yeah Um, it just yeah it does feel like you're either the archetype of the working parent family where the nanny kind of raises the kids and they you know do that sort of thing or you're a super religious homeschool homesteading (laughs) whatever kind of family is like, uh, can I be neither? (laughs) Yeah. Like some kind of, not even a blend of that necessarily. Yeah. No. Can I like work outside of both of those archetypes? Yeah. That's not a paradigm I like living in really. Um, but yeah, I think that they, they imparted that to me that it's like, it's worth doing the research and, um, and, and trying to understand your kid like why the why behind their behavior and all that. And I think that's very helpful. How did you learn about sex, gender, and relationships growing up? Mm, that's a good question. Um, my parents were super out in the open about sex and not necessarily, I mean, I think gender, they were pretty, you know, uh, normalized about, I guess you would say like, you know, there's two genders, uh, I just, it wasn't the conversation back then, you know, mm-hmm. um, they're certainly very open to that now, but, um, that wasn't really something that they were teaching me about, but I, they gave me that book. It's been circulating on Facebook again, the, where did I come from book? Do you know this book? <laughs> um, so that got that very early. I knew what sex was very early. I knew queer people very early, many, people in our uh, lives when I was very young were queer. And so I feel like that was super normalized to me, um, which was great. Um, But yeah, not a lot of conversation around gender outside of like, there's men and women, and then there's like transsexual people or what, you know, like transvestites or whatever, or uh, drag queens, you know, whatever kind of terminology they were using back then. Not that my parents were like, this is what this is, but like, you know, Rocky Horror or something like that was (laughs) early exposure to that. Um, They were maybe like a little bit neutral, didn't like completely sit you down and say like, 
this is a thing, but right. they weren't just like, oh, don't look. No, not at all. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, I being the child of two artists, you know, you you're around a lot of interesting people. And um, so queerness was definitely very out in the open and very celebrated and loved um, and definitely gender nonconformity, but not conversationally, at least, you know, um, but I, I didn't really have exposure to trans people that I knew of until probably high school. And then I had mm-hmm. several friends who transitioned. And so I feel like I did have an earlier experience than some folks, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't think they, they really did much education there. Cause I mean, it just wasn't, no one was really talking about gender as a construct back then, you know, like it wasn't, <laughs> I mean, there were, I mean, yes, there were people talking about it, but not mainstream enough that my parents were sure. picking up what they were putting down or whatever. Yeah. Sure. You know? Yeah. Is there a certain way that you've approached or plan to approach topics surrounding sex, gender, and relationships with your kid? Yeah. Um, I mean, she definitely knows a lot of her own anatomy already. She knows, I mean, we're, we're not shy about like dressing in front of her. She's takes a shower with my husband. We have no problem with that. We don't think bodies need to be shamed by any means. And we don't want her to think like penises are scary or something, you know, like yeah. we're not going to hide the fact that he's got a penis, you know, from our kid because his, his mom was German. And so, you know, in Europe, they're a little bit more open about nudity and stuff. So he's very like, whatever about that, which I think is cool. And I really appreciate about him. Um, and yeah, regarding gender and sexuality, I mean, she does, I think probably know people with family structures that are not mom and dad, you know, I think there's some queer families at her school. And we've definitely talked about this. Some families have, you know, two mommies and two daddies and one mommy, one daddy, a grandparent and all different, you know. Um, And I love that a lot of the TV shows out there now are showing that as well. Like she loves this chip and potato show on Netflix. And there's like two gay zebras that have kids and it's, you know, and then there's like another family that's grandparents. So I think that that's kind of a nice, um, way to show what families can look like but yeah gender yeah I mean she's definitely very into girliness and wearing dresses and all of that but I do if she says like that's a girl thing I'm like no anybody can play with that you know like I just try to take that off of it you know like yeah it doesn't belong to anybody in particular like so and so likes it and she did ask me something about boys wearing dresses like boys don't wear dresses and I was like actually all over the world, there are lots of cultures where boys will wear dresses and it's just normal there. It's just not common here. Right. You know, it's not as common here. Well, it's not anymore. I mean, back, right. you know, in 1700s and all of that, like, and before then, the people who would shame that now were the exact archetype of people who would wear that then. Right. <laughs> true, true that <laughs> it's interesting how it, how it flips like that but yeah. yeah I just try to you know I mean we're not raising her gender neutral by any means um I don't know if that's the right thing to do or not um I don't I just don't know I know people who are doing it but I didn't feel like the right choice for our family um but she definitely you know gets told um you know that 
she can do whatever. She doesn't have to do girl stuff. You know, we don't like emphasize those kinds of things. Before you became a parent, did you have any fears about parenting? I'm sure I had a lot. I don't remember what they all were, but I'm sure I had a lot. Um, I think I had some fears around, you know, my partner, like, are we going to agree on things? Um, we had some different ideas. Will we be able to figure that out? You know, um, sort of navigating those parenting differences. Um, can I really do it? Like, can I handle it? You know, seeing yeah. how, how hard it can be from clients. Am I good at it? You know, will I be good at it? Um, sometimes not. <laughs> I have learned. <laughs> sometimes not. Um, yeah. But I think the bigger one was really like navigating it with my husband because in some ways we just really are so different. And I was really worried yeah. about, you know, having different uh, opinions on things like discipline or vaccines or any yeah. matter of controversial topics right. <laughs> but we agreed on no circumcision although we had a girl but <laughs> I was like yes we don't it's have to still, argue about that <laughs> yeah it's still an important prenatal conversation for sure yes it is you want to know what they think about that so yeah I think that was and pre prenatal as well <laughs> yeah if you can <laughs> yeah absolutely what advice or ways of coping would you offer to new or prospective parents who might have some similar fears? I would say if you are not yet pregnant, do a lot of couples therapy <laughs> before you advocate um, because it, there's nothing quite like having a kid uh, to show you what your own failures are and your your relationships failures as well. Um, it just highlights things, you know, the strengths and the weaknesses of it. And if there are issues in the relationship, it's so much better to try and work those out before you bring a kid into the mix and then expose that kid to all of those things. So that's like, that's big. I wish I had done more of that. I kind of knew that, but just wanted the baby more than I wanted to work on that. And that was a choice that I made, but one that I would advise not to. Um, I think it's, yeah, that's a really big one. Get a doula, definitely. I thought I didn't need my own. I was like, oh, she's more for Max. Like she's gonna do more for Max. No, I needed her. Um, yeah. We just need our, our person that's kind of floating outside of our family unit, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I had a birth and postpartum doula, two different people, and both of them, I don't know that I would have survived without. So that's obvious. Like, obviously I promote doulas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, therapy, no therapy, here. therapy. Yeah, no, no bias <laughs> there. Uh, lots of therapy or, you know, not necessarily therapy, but some kind of coach or somebody, someone you can talk to. It doesn't have to be a professional, but someone you can talk to and actually really tell them what's going on and know that they're not going to judge you or like report you for your dark thoughts or whatever, because you need someone who's just like, yeah, it is hard. Like, I get that. I totally respect how you're feeling. And there's not many in a lot of people's lives that you can do that with, you know? Yeah. Especially around this where you're supposed to be so happy, <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. I think therapists can sometimes act as like 
like mental health doulas or like, you know, (laughs) just really just kind of not telling you what to do or how to do it necessarily all the time, um, but just coaching you through just holding your hand through it, really, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Is there one thing out there if you had to pick just one or if there's anything at all that you would say positively impacted your parenting journey the most, like a book or a piece of advice, class, person in your life, something like that? Mm. Definitely having certain friends, certain parent friends that I could talk to about what was really going on. My best friend, who's not a parent, honestly, she really got me through a lot because sometimes the mom friends you know yeah a little superficial sometimes yeah well and you just you just don't have time for bullshit when you're a parent like you just don't have time for all these pleasantries and this superficial back and forth like it's just like can I just tell you about how poop got smeared all over my bathroom yesterday without having to like ask about your life first or you know just like whatever like you just really need those people in your life as a parent yeah yeah. absolutely like I mean I just had to have someone who was kind of outside of what was happening you know and Mm -hmm. even like my mom was great too but but my best friend Maggie like I knew I mean, she could handle like what I had to say and I could tell her the deep, dark things and, and still do, you know, she's been my best friend since the fourth grade. (laughs) You just got to have somebody in your life who's solid like that, you know? Have you given any thought to what it might be like to be a grandparent in the future and what feelings does that bring up for you? (laughs) Mm, That's interesting. Yeah. Um, June right now says she doesn't want to have kids. And so that mm-hmm. makes me silently cry, but <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll see, you know, no pressure, June. Yeah. But, um, uh, like no pressure, awesome. but I need you to at least get a dog because <laughs> something, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I think grandparenthood is a very interesting identity and I really, mm-hmm. I enjoy the times that I can doula people through that too. Um, cause I feel like that's really not taught in the doula training. So you're going to oh, encounter yeah. these grandparents and that they're going through an identity shift and that that has its own grief and its own joy and beauty and figuring out, okay, so I'm still so-and-so's mom, but now she's a mom. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with that, you know? Um, and I've had these heart to hearts with, with people, usually grandmothers, occasionally grandfathers, you know, and, and kind of advocating for the parent, first of all, being like, well, look, they're the parent now. So you got to give them some space to do it their way. And I get that your way is better, wink, wink, but, you know, um, giving them a little, (laughs) throwing them a bone there, but you know, that, yeah, this is a transition for you as well. And it, it can be destabilizing and, and you have a new role now. And that's very, that's a new opportunity for you, right. To, yeah recreate yourself and and all of that and so I look forward to it someday I hope if it's a dog if it's a human child whatever she decides I'm cool Mm -hmm. with um but I think it can really be a cool experience too Mm -hmm. it's not your baby you know yeah yours it's um but it's one that you love like it's yours and that's got to be really 
powerful. Mm-hmm. If you could sum up parenting in three truths, what would they be? Mm. <laughs> I know that's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> I need a moment with that. Sure. Um, I don't mean this negatively, but shattering is the word that comes up for me. They don't have to be positive truths. You're not right. pitted into that box at all. Yeah, yeah shattering. Um, foggy. <laughs> Achingly beautiful. Which part of parenting is shattering for you? I think that's really what happened for me in the birth. And what I see happening for a lot of birthing people is just that process breaking up your identity and and kind of scattering it around you and then you're deciding like what can I hold right now you know not very much in the beginning right then you start picking those pieces up the further you get from the birth or the moment you adopt your baby or or however that baby comes into your life you know Um, because it happens regardless I think of actually giving birth but that definitely puts it into an embodied (laughs) fully just taking over kind of experience on a bit of a lighter question (laughs) I know I can get real dark (laughs) real no 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 no, no. I love I love going there I do I really do it's just that the next question happens to be a bit lighter (laughs) so I just want to prepare your mind so that you're not like Oh, this was a weird shift in thought. No, okay. Um, <laughs> what thing do you think is going to characterize our kids' generation, which has yet to be named? <laughs> oh, God. I hope it's not COVID. That's all I have to say. <laughs> oh, my God. Me too. I really but you know what? I don't not. think 9-11, like, characterize our generation, so no. I don't think this will characterize it for them. No. Um. Gosh. I hope progress and inclusivity and just more space for people to be who they are. I hope that's what comes out of this generation. Yeah. I hope, I hope us millennial parents are doing a good job imparting that because I think we're trying (laughs) some of us at least. Um, Yeah. I really love that for them that they're Mm -hmm. like the generation of just like everyone gets to be who they are out in the open. Yes. All right. If you could create a reality show that doesn't already exist about parenting, what would be the premise? Mm-hmm. I would love to see a reality show about the postpartum period. <laughs> I would yes. love it. I would oh, love to yes. star in that as the doula. <laughs> um, that would be awesome. I mean, people have joked with me about like doing something like that. I don't know, but um, I don't know that it'd be the funniest reality show, but there's humor to be had, you know, in the postpartum period too. Um, But wouldn't that be nice if we could see what that really looked like? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So much humor. And I, like, I think if we could talk prenatally and pre prenatally (laughs) um, about the kind of dark and scary spaces of postpartum and just like, shine light on that get that out of the way we can create space for joy and humor in postpartum because it's such like a 
laugh to keep from crying time, <laughs> you know, so much of it because you, you are so ridiculous, honestly, like yeah. you're so ridiculous, just like hobbling around and like, <laughs> you know, squeezing like peri bottle contents <laughs> onto your vulva and just like, it's, it's a ridiculous ridiculous time honestly and like just waking up in the morning from not actually having slept and just like looking at yourself in the mirror like this is just what I look like now <laughs> or and just like just... you smell like a literal dog you know yeah, like I just like oh just my like, god <laughs> oh, I guess I haven't showered in six days I what <laughs> like yeah how did that happen yeah it's there's total space for reality tv show humor in there many yeah. many follies <laughs> to be had you know or just like the the baby pukes down your bra or whatever yes. it's, no, people need to see that that happens I mean it yeah. it happens so it sure does let's do All it right, let's so make it happen <laughs> this is the last question before we move on to the game section okay <laughs> so just in general, do you have any words of wisdom, encouragement, or support for other parents out there? Hmm. It's really hard, but <laughs> it is worth it. I mean, I think it's the things that you get to see your kid go through for better or worse is just very enriching, you know, to your life. And I mean, you create this person or you bring this person into your life and they just love you you know and it's not a given right it's a relationship that you have to work on both both ways but it's a like their love for the kids love for their parents if it's like the parents have created a you know certainly like a, a healthy attachment with them it's just a very pure kind of love in a sense that is not afraid to be angry at you and is not afraid to call you out, you know, which is makes it a very complicated kind of love, but a very, <laughs> a very rich kind of love because yes. they love you in spite of all of your faults and they come back to you in spite of your faults and you don't get that from anybody else in your life usually, you know? Yeah. And just, to be that home for someone is just so amazing and, and worth it. And doesn't make all the hard parts that we're talking about not like, it doesn't get rid of those by any means, but it makes it like, okay, this is why I'm doing this. It's not for nothing. You know, it's yeah. because this person is the most special person that I've ever met in my whole life. And mm -hmm. you just don't know what that's even going to feel like until it happens you know totally yeah Beautiful. I don't know if that's advice but it's just a thought <laughs> I think thoughts can be translated into advice for sure yeah take mm -hmm. something take what you yeah. will from it <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right so this is the game section so just three short little fun games that we're gonna try okay okay all right so this first one is called items in a room Okay. So name five items you see in the room with you right now. Okay. Fascia blaster. <laughs> Nude photograph. Mm. Fake plant. Degree. Box fan. All right. 
if you had to pick two of those items to give to help a new parent, which ones and why? <laughs> mm, oh, this is fun. Um, I would <laughs> I would give the fascia blaster because it's a really cool tool to uh, help with scar tissue and muscular stuff and just apparently cellulite is what one way it's marketed. So it's kind of just mm -hmm. an all purpose, good kind of massager tool. Yeah. Um, and I would say box fan because of postpartum sweats. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> it could be a good one to have. <laughs> That's great. I love that. <laughs> I thought that was going to be the worst one and actually it's useful. So. Oh, totally. <laughs> cool. All right. So this next one is self-explanatory. It's two truths and a lie. So tell me three things about yourself. Only two of them are true. And I'll guess which one is the lie. Okay. I didn't eat a hamburger until I was 22. I was Alanis Morissette's doula. This is always hard to think of a third thing. I know that I, this game is so confronting for me. It's so, yeah. <laughs> um, when I'm on your end. Hmm. I've met Diane Keaton three times. Oh my God. So you've <laughs> definitely done something with a celebrity. Hamburger thing, Alanis Morissette thing, Diane Keaton. Mm -hmm. How old is Alanis Morissette's kid? <laughs> She has a couple. <laughs> I know, I know she does. And she's so like in this world. Okay. I don't think you were her doula. I was not. I almost was. <laughs> she had like 25 postpartum doulas working for her. Oh my God. And I mean, it was kind of insane how many, I mean, she had like 24 hour coverage for a while and that's... I was pregnant at the time and she wow. lived up in Malibu and I was just like, if I have to do that drive, I'm going to throw up in my car so many times. <laughs> so I didn't yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. But wow. man, Diane Keaton was everywhere I was for a while. In LA. I don't know. <laughs> That's I don't so know cool. why, but I was like, I mean, I didn't like talk to her. So it's like met is kind of like loose, but like we had eye contact and I do love her. So I was like, oh my God, thank you. That is so fangirly cool. Yeah, so silly. Okay. And why the hell did you not eat a burger until you were 22? Were you vegetarian? I was raised macrobiotic, which is not fully vegetarian. You do eat um, fish, but, and I had eaten like chicken and stuff and even eaten bacon. Thanks grandma, but I'm to my parents' <laughs> chagrin, but I just, something about it like freaked me out. And I just felt like if I ate it, it was going to make me really sick. Cause that's kind of like what I was told. And mm. my friend Cindy in Santa Fe was like, girl, before you move to California, you got to eat like one burger. <laughs> and yes. so she made one for me and I didn't like it at first, you know, but then I went to in and out as soon as I moved to LA and I was like, Oh, I guess I do like these. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh I'm a little gosh. spoiled on the burgers, but, um, but yeah, just didn't. All right. So here's the last thing. Okay. Um, it's going to be a 20 rapid fire word association. Oh, shit. <laughs> so <laughs> no, no need to emphasize the rapid or anything, but, <laughs> okay. but, um, <laughs> but I'll just say a word. And then you say the first word that comes to mind. Oh boy. It. This um, is going to be psychologically <laughs> revealing. No doubt. <laughs> 
and there's going to be 20 words. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm scared. Parenting. <laughs> Worth it. That's two words. <laughs> That's all right. I'll let it slide. Body. Home. Birth. Journey. Toddlers. Learning. Home. Family. Childhood. Sweet. Generation Z. That's two words, but. <laughs> mm. TikTok. <laughs> Placenta. Moon. Colic. Imprecise. Sex. More. <laughs> Postpartum. Real. Ancestors. Relationship. Healing. Nonlinear. <laughs> Stories. DNA. Fertility. Blood. Reproductive justice. Important. Newborn. Squishy. <laughs> Zoe. Multifaceted. <laughs> <laughs> Child. Budding. Family. Roots. You did it. Yay. <laughs> Yay. That was fun. Some of those are hard. <laughs> I, they are all very hard. I was not light with that one. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that was so much fun. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah. <laughs> those were fun yeah good games I would do that again I think you should do that again <laughs> okay good thank you for the feedback <laughs> yeah yeah Yay. games are fun all right cool all right well thank you so much for coming on and I think this was a really great conversation I could talk to you for hours probably about this kind of stuff so <laughs> yeah I really appreciate this space to get some of these ideas out and um just nice talking to you since we mostly just talk over text and <laughs> yeah it's good to connect with you face to face so i'm glad yeah. i could do it thank you Alrighty, bye Thanks. bye thank you for listening to coffee with parents if you're interested in being a guest on the show, I'd love to hear from you. I love to hear from all types of parenting experiences, including experiences of loss such as miscarriage or abortion, step parents, surrogate carriers, adoptive parents, foster parents, people who parented their siblings, and more. All parent and family types are welcome, encouraged, and accepted and embraced on this podcast please email us at cwppodcast at gmail.com if you have something to share.
Okay, human beings, that concludes episode one of season two of Coffee with Parents. Thanks for listening and love. Thanks for all your support. And special thanks to Zoe for helping me brew up this episode. Stay caffeinated. Bye.